It's now time to go around the nation in Division Three football. And here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. Keith McMillan and I have done 169 episodes of the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast together in here for episode number 170. Well, we have a guest host. Join me as I welcome in uh, Adam Turr, our current Around the Nation columnist, as Keith is what we in the journalism biz call on assignment this month. So, Adam, welcome. You have big shoes to fill, and uh, I won't use the timer on you, but nonetheless, I think we're all on the hot seat this time around. As a listener... All 169 of those episodes, it is an honor and a privilege to be with you today, Pat, and I will not live up to the high expectations that have been set for me. Well, the good news the good news is that uh, I'll expect you to live up to all of the inside jokes. Uh, I still expect uh, we'll still try to make up a word. Um, we'll still have uh, the, uh, the 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 non me host ramble for five minutes on something, and then I'll have to cut and chop it down into three and a half. Um, and I also want to apologize for uh, not having a podcast in May. Uh, that's not Keith's fault. That's totally my fault. And Keith not being here is not a reflection on that. It's just kind of the way spring and, uh, in all honesty, baseball season went around here at D3Sports.com. It just made it impossible. But, uh, you know, Adam, uh, in terms of welcoming you in for your first podcast uh, co-hosting, full co-hosting stint, whatever, um, you're also headed into your second year as the Around the Nation columnist. That is true. Uh, you know, last year was great, uh, and the best part was you know hearing from so many players and parents and coaches, and uh, even heard from some referees. You know, so I've got some ideas going into this season already. Some stuff I didn't have time to get to in the 2016 season. Um, but this will be my plug right here. If you have ideas about a player, coach, some story, you know, love stories about people overcoming adversity teams dealing with things, you know, kind of off the beaten path, uh, please feel free to reach out to me if you have good suggestions for the column this year. You know, I hope to improve upon it this year. Uh, the first year was was a whirlwind. It went by so fast. And like I said, you know, you spend July and August trying to map out ideas of what might be a good column and then stuff happens and you have to rewrite everything and things change. Uh, but, you know, my, my inbox, uh, adam.tur at d3sports.com, A-D-A-M.T-U-R-E-R at d3sports.com. Start sending me some suggestions now for Around the Nation because it's really written. The ideas come from you, the D3 football players, audience, coaches, parents. That's where the ideas generate from. So start sending me now and I look forward to talking to all you fine folks throughout the fall. Typically, in the course of these off-season podcasts, we talk with uh, two or three coaches or two or three Division Three newsmakers. Um, it seemed a waste to not use one of those opportunities to talk to Adam. So we'll talk to him a little bit later, specifically about uh, you know what's happening right now before games start and before everything gets thrown out the window. We'll talk about uh, preseason top twenty-fives or a couple, of course, the magazines, the people who cover Division Three football one week a year. Uh, a couple of those polls are out. Uh, our poll will come out uh, more towards the end of July, but uh, we'll get Adam's early take on that. We're going to talk with uh, Dylan Hecker, uh, the uh, running back at UW Oshkosh. <laughs> catched up. Catched up. That's the word. That's the word I'm, we're inventing today. Didn't take long. <laughs> no, it didn't. Uh, it's like I'm out of practice or something. I caught up with him at the Division Three World Series, so we'll chat with him for a few minutes. Uh, we uh, also decided to do something new this month um, because there are, you know, 250 programs and um, 
you know, there are so many ways we could go about choosing them and, and still never end up getting anywhere near through all of them. We wanted to add a little bit of a, uh, a random draw to this. So uh, the result of that is we're going to talk with Mark Murniak, the head coach at Norwich University. Not like they don't have something uh, interesting to talk about uh, as they join the new Mac and the new Mac starts up this fall. Uh, but Adam, uh, also one of the things that goes on during the offseason um, and it pretty much every year we look at teams and schools and programs that are announced that they're changing conferences. Now, these are things that don't take effect until 2018, but uh, you know, still some interesting stuff. I think most prominently uh, is th- this one that's hanging kind of uh, in limbo. What the heck is going to happen to Thomas More? Uh, announced that they withdrew from the President's Athletic Conference, and somewhat a school that withdraws from a conference that doesn't immediately announce a new conference. I can't say that that's happened very often. No, it was definitely unusual. It was definitely a surprise, and great timing having me on the podcast since I live 15 minutes from Thomas More and have covered all their athletic programs for several years now, so uh, I have a little bit of insight I can add to that. Um, you know, spoke to some people off the record. Nobody wanted to really confirm yet other than what they announced publicly. Um, but basically they kind of are embracing their, their free agent status. They had some things in the works that they were hoping would coincide with the announcement that kind of fell through last minute. Um, I think you can probably draw your own conclusions from what potential conferences that may have been yeah. uh, recently. But, you know, right now they're going to play out this season in the PAC. They're going to uh, you know, play. I think all their athletic programs might have a little chip on their shoulder now. They want to go out on top, um, and they want to you know leave their lasting impressions on the PAC. Where do they go from there is really wide open, and I've even heard uh, potential um, that maybe it's not even in Division Three, which would be yeah. a huge loss for Division Three and a big surprise. Um, but again, that's their, they really are exploring all their options, and the only way they would be able to do that at this point, they felt, was to withdraw from the PAC and, and reach this agreement to play one more season in the conference. And then, uh, obviously, the plan would be to have something already in place before this season ends and not go into 2018 as an independent or a free agent. But that's another option that's on the table. They really have a lot of things they're exploring right now. And uh, there's a lot of potential for them to maybe join uh, a new D3 conference. But then there's some other things on the table as well that they uh, they could move, try to move up to Division Two, move down to NAIA, stay an independent. I mean, there really is everything on the table now. And, and it's really going to come down to maybe finding one or two other schools that want to you know, you can't just join a conference by yourself these days with all the movement we've seen lately. It usually takes, you know, two or three teams kind of moving and shifting around uh, to open up those spots and make every piece of the puzzle fit. So that's where Thomas Moore's at now. They're fully full steam ahead, 2017, 28, you know, spring of 2018 in the PAC. And then we'll see where they land. I mean, do you have any suggestions, any insight where you think they'll end up? I have some thoughts about what might happen or what I think could happen that might be interesting. Uh, but I, I want to harken back a little bit to 2005 when they joined the PAC. The PAC was really hot to have Thomas Moore, um, so much so that uh, they the timeline on getting uh, Thomas Moore integrated into the, the PAC schedule was you know, uh, I mean, it's almost an immediate turnaround. Uh, Thomas Moore had a bunch of games scheduled for the 2005 season, had to break a bunch of contracts. Uh, you know, schools already in the PAC had to break contracts to allow Thomas Moore to come in um, in hopes that they might be able to get an automatic bid as early as 2005. Now, of course, there were rules already in place that would certainly tell people that there's a there was a two-year waiting period and that sort of thing. But 
you know, once upon a time, this was a relationship that the PAC really wanted to have. Um, but it's always been this, um, there's always been some contention because it is so far away from the rest of the PAC footprint and maybe other reasons as well. But, you know, you think about teams that are primarily in Western Pennsylvania, uh, and then, you know, in every sport, uh, they have to make a trip out to the Cincinnati suburbs either you know once a year or once every other year depending on the sport that's just a, a it was always a match that seemed a little bit unusual to me yeah and, and when the Saints joined the conference also remember that some of the current teams now weren't there yet so you know yeah. you added school like Geneva yeah. uh, you bring in some more uh, you know teams along that I-76 corridor there in Pennsylvania and you know once they were able to kind of get the capacity um, they really I mean it, it, it's a they're announcing as a mutual decision, mutual parting of ways. Yeah. And definitely part of it was the travel. You know, Thomas Moore has always been that outlier, the longest road trip in the conference for most programs. Um, and of course, in most sports lately, you got to take that long trip and it's a long bus ride home because Thomas Moore's pretty good across the board athletically. So I, I think that might be a little bit of a wear and tear on them as well is you're taking this long trip, you're spending all this money and then you've got to take a long trip back after a loss. And that, that may not be something that every other program looks forward to either. One of the things that I, I find as an interesting possibility, you know, whether anybody's thinking about this uh, other than me is uh, yet to be determined, of course. But, uh, you know, for years, uh, Thomas Moore tried to get into the Heartland Conference uh, and mm-hmm. uh, it just was not a it was not a fit. The Heartland Conference schools didn't want them. However many doesn't really matter. Um, but, you know, think about what are the other options, uh, you know. Could Thomas Moore get into the Ohio Athletic Conference? Certainly possible. You know, they're in Kentucky, but they're within the Ohio footprint more or less, and they're certainly along the Ohio River. But that would be 11 schools unless, say, you sent uh, Wilmington back to the Heartland Conference from whence they came back in 1999 was their last last fall in the Heartland. It would be interesting because uh, Wilmington has struggled almost across the board, almost in every sport in the OAC, just have not been able to uh, maintain the kind of success that they had in the heartland and, and in their previous situations. It would be interesting to see if uh, you know that kind of move could be coordinated because I think that's something that would benefit uh, both programs and it would benefit the OAC and, and it might benefit the Heartland Conference as well. So yeah, I'm in Cincinnati. Grew up in Cincinnati. I live in Cincinnati now, and I follow the Heartland very closely. I follow the OAC very closely, and I could not agree with that suggestion more. Um, at this time, all we can do is speculate and suggest. But I think, like like we said, it, it it takes more than one team to decide which conference it wants to be in. You know, every conference is at or near capacity now. You got to find what is the best fit for not just your school, but maybe another school too. That, to me, seems like a no-brainer. It would be great. It would make the Heartland more competitive right away by bringing Wilmington in. It would make Wilmington more competitive. And I think we would all look forward to having a team of Thomas Moore's caliber, uh, especially in football, but not just football, you know, other sports as well, uh, in the OAC, where I think, you know, OAC is pretty much recognized as one of the more competitive conferences in the country in Division Three a- across the board. I-, I would personally love to see that. Um, you know, it's probably about a four-and-a-half-hour drive from Alliance, Ohio, to Crestview Hills, Kentucky. That would be a rivalry that I would look forward to seeing. You'd have Jim Hilvert at Baldwin-Wallace coaching against yep. his old-school Thomas Moore. Yep. Uh, you know, the story. The storylines are writing themselves. We just have to find uh, you know, the, the right people to, to listen to this podcast and, and go forward with this great plan that you thought of. 
Um, well, we'll see if uh, we see if we can handle it from a marketing standpoint. Uh, it's certainly for the marketing folks think this is a great move. Uh, we need a catchy hashtag. It's got to be a catchy hashtag that somehow fits Wilmington Thomas Moore HCAC and OAC into one hashtag. Social media guru yourself, get on that. Okay, I try to keep that <laughs> under twenty five characters, and I'm not sure I'm going to be able to, but we'll uh, we'll work on that. Um, maybe by the time the podcast comes out, I'll have, uh, come up with something overnight. We'll see if that works. Uh, one of the things that, uh, Thomas Moore was trying to do, they were trying to get, uh, into the MIAA, that's the Michigan conference. Um, yeah. and the, uh, of course that's for, that's for all sports, but, uh, the MIAA filled one of its needs by adding an eighth football program and they didn't have to leave the state to do it as uh, Finlandia, who is like eight hours from anybody in the MIAA, uh, nonetheless. Uh, is uh, going to be joining the MIAA for football only, and that starts in 2018. Yeah, and that's you know a great move. Obviously, it would have been a long drive for those schools of Thomas More anyway. Finlandia needed a home. I think Thomas More has a lot more options than Finlandia. Finlandia is out there on that island on the Upper Peninsula, and uh, you know this was pretty much the the only fit I think for them um, from an athletic standpoint. So it just made sense. You know, it would have been nice to see, um, them both be able to fit in a conference, but that wasn't going to happen. And it really wasn't much of a surprise, but good for Finlandia for getting a conference home. It'll be interesting to see, you know, as that program grows, I think it helps a program grow having some natural opponents, not having to scramble for a schedule every year, having some of those in-state, uh, hopefully they can build some in-state rivalries and, uh, go forward in the MIAA. Yeah. Uh, for those who are listening to the podcast for the first time or relatively new to Division Three, we know that the Upper Peninsula is not literally an island. Uh, we talk about schools that are uh, <laughs> <laughs> geographically isolated yeah, from the rest of the Division Three as being on an island. So that includes schools in Texas. That includes Finlandia, which is miles from everybody in Division Three. schools in the Pacific Northwest, schools in Southern California. Um, you know, Finlandia too. I mean, right now they only have six games scheduled for next year. Um, and not that it won't, well, that'll be a recurring theme. We'll come back to that uh, sort of theme coming up in a, in a little bit. Amazingly here with, uh, significantly less than three months until uh, week one kickoff, there are some schedules that are woefully incomplete. Um, of course there are a bunch of changes that take effect this year and we'll talk about them. Uh, one of them coming up in a little bit. Uh, the, the, the dominoes are continuing to fall in New England, uh, some of them kind of slowly. The uh, Liberty League still hasn't formally announced Buffalo State joining, which is something that uh, we talked about and, and published on the site now quite some time ago. But something that is happening as a result of this, um, the formation of the new Mac and schools kind of shuffling around is Husson is leaving the ECFC to go to the Commonwealth Coast Conference. And you know, getting out of the ECFC is basically getting out of a conference that we perennially rank as one of the bottom two, bottom three in Division Three, And it remains to be seen what the CCC looks like. But for Husson, at least, this is a bit of a step up. Yeah, I think it could be a step up for sure. Um, and I think, you know, a, a lot, you know, they're, they're at the top of the conference this year. Um, you know, they're, they're a marquee program in the ECFC lately. And, you know, like you said, the CCC is kind of, it's up in the air what, what they're going to have because they're not just taking half of a conference. You know, they're taking... Um, you know, teams from the ODAC, teams from the ECFC, teams from the NEFC. It, it's going to be interesting mix and, and how those teams mix together. And, you know, when we do those conference rankings every year, uh, which I'm so looking forward to, uh, when we do those conference <laughs> rankings every year. I could tell year, you, Keith and, uh, I, Keith and I are too when kickoff comes around. This will be an interesting year to do that. Um, it, it's going to change so much. And it's going to 
CCC is going to be really cool to give us an idea of where we properly ranking those conferences that those teams came from in prior years, you know, kind of, it'll calibrate itself a little bit, I think. And we'll see, you know, is the best team, if the best team in the ECFC in 2016 struggles mightily in the CCC in 2018 and 2019, you know, then we're validated uh, by ranking the ECFC so low. If they come in there and hold their own with all these other teams from all these other conferences that when they join together, then maybe we underrated the ECFC. So, you know, it's it'll be good, but I'm, you know, you know me, I'm not a fan of conference realignment. I think it's it happens too frequently and it's too uh, sometimes I feel like it's not enough thought goes into it. And sometimes it seems like too much goes into it and it drags and drags and drags. And we hear rumors and speculation and we're chasing down all these potential stories of where is this program going to go? And we don't really stop and think about why so much. It, it feels like almost every program is looking for that next thing, the next con- like the conference will be the magic elixir that cures all their athletic ales. Right. You know, it might, the, the problem might not be the conference you're in. The problem might be other things <laughs> to do with your school. So not, not to knock any of these schools that are changing leagues, but Sometimes I feel like the motivation for it is driven for reasons that maybe they could address internally and try to improve upon rather than just jumping conferences. I don't know. That's just my opinion. We'll talk with Norwich in a little bit, who's going to be in their fourth conference in 15 years. Um, You talked uh, briefly about uh, the CCC, and I think you also meant to uh, address the new Mac because they're a a collection of conference or collection of schools that are pulling from other conferences, including the Old Dominion Athletic Conference. Like I said, we'll talk with Mark Murniak, the head coach of Norwich University, about that as the new Mac takes field uh, this fall in football for the first time. Uh, we'll get uh, the perspective of at least the uh, folks from Vermont. And it's a good time to remind you that uh, this is the Around the Nation podcast, currently sponsored by... Yeah, that blank is because there's nobody. So, uh, you know, this is an opportunity, especially this time of year, if you want to reach coaches. You know, coaches obviously are getting to the point where, you know, preseason stuff is starting up soon, right? Uh, making final preparations for camp, uh, you know, maybe taking a, a vacation, their last possible vacation until, uh, you know, Christmas. I'm not sure. Um, but. You know, there's still off-season things being done, and there's planning going ahead for 2018. You know, a bunch of schools, uh, you know, have already revealed new uniforms for 2017. A bunch of them are going to need new uniforms in 2018. Schools are going to be looking to upgrade their turf. Everybody is still kind of on this uh, scoreboard uh, expansion, uh, jumbotron kind of kick right now. If you are a company that does one of those things, you want to reach coaches. This is a really inexpensive and very accessible way to do it and my understanding is coaches listen to this my email box really suggests that uh twitter really suggests that so if you want to reach those people sponsor the around the nation podcast next one coming up in july you can email me at pat.coleman at d3sports.com now on the around the nation podcast we're talking with uw oshkosh senior Running back, uh, occasional quarterback, all sorts of things. Dylan Hecker, uh, of course, as you remember, uh, Oshkosh ended its season in the Stag Bowl this past season, falling in a uh, tight defensive battle to Mary Harden Baylor. Uh, first of all, Dylan, it, you know that obviously some of that now is five months past, right? Lots of time to reflect on it, uh, lots of time to move on from it. What's your feelings now about uh, you know the, the journey you guys went on this past season and getting to the Stag Bowl? Yeah, um, it was a great experience. Um, we got a little taste of what it's like. We came up three points shy 
and uh, it makes the guys who are coming back determined to get there again. And uh, we wish we could have went out on top for those seniors. We love those guys. They were great, um, great leaders. They kind of set a blueprint for us, the younger guys, and now we're looking to follow that and get back there. So, I mean, we got a lot of hardworking guys on this team, and we're ready to get back there. What's it like for the you know that group now? You're the the guys, the senior class coming up, kind of expected to a kind of carry that mantle. B be even more of a leader than a junior class already was. Now for a program that's played on national television in the title game. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, it feels like I was just a freshman and not really like knowing much or playing much, and now I'm a senior. And it kind of your perspective changes on a lot of things that I didn't think it would change when I got here. Um, just like the little things, like I look forward to every single lift and every single practice and all the little things like that just because this is the last go-around at it. So just kind of having a different mentality towards little things that I didn't prior to this year. So I'm kind of focusing on kind of letting those younger guys get that same mentality now instead of waiting until their senior year. So, um, yeah, I think if we do that, we'll have a lot more success. What do you do other than like a lot of guys do lead by example? What do you do to kind of impress that uh, upon the younger players? Yeah, I'm a big lead by example guy. I'm kind of quiet and shy, so I like to um, lead by example with my actions. But I've been kind of trying to get out of my comfort zone and kind of being more of a vocal leader for these guys. Mm -hmm. um, Coach Cerrone always says, how do you guys want to be remembered? So us senior class, we're kind of focusing on being great leaders and uh, getting those younger guys because they're going to have to play a huge role in our success this season because we just lost 10 of the 11 starting defensive guys. So, I mean, it's kind of getting everybody together and rallying and being on the same page. Um, you know, you've got obviously several months before uh, regular season play starts, let's, let alone conference play. But, you know, it, nothing's going to change in the WIAC. You're going to be facing uh, the toughest conference in Division III, uh, Whitewater a couple hours down the road. Now, probably. I don't know. They, I don't know how they look at themselves, but now I think you guys might have the opportunity to look at them as the guys who are trying to claw back and get the spot that you guys took from them. Yeah. Um, obviously, they've been the dominant team in the past, and now we're kind of getting up there. And uh, I think reaching that stag bowl kind of earned us some respect around the country. I guess um, we're just kind of. I mean, we have one game against John Carroll, and then as of now, we're playing Whitewater four weeks later. So, I mean, we're looking forward to that. I'm pretty sure it's home on our home turf. But uh, sure. we're looking yeah. forward to that, and uh, yeah, just excited to play them. It could go either way with them, you know. We're both great teams and great programs. Yeah, if you are looking for a game, somehow still looking for a game for the 2017 football season, uh, Oshkosh has three open dates, so uh, give uh, give uh, Coach Cerrone a call. Um, that obviously that's something that's well above your pay grade. But uh, what does that you know? How much does that? You have to be somewhat aware of <laughs> the sort of things that are going on around that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't even know what to expect because it's three weeks off right now. It's, I don't know. We'll just kind of see how the coaches handle it. Hopefully, we get at least one more game. Hopefully, two. But um, I mean, we'll just kind of play it by ear, and I don't know. You talked about the defensive side of the ball, and obviously they were lights out last season. Uh, held the top team in the country to ten points in the national championship game, but lose a bunch of guys now on the offensive side of the ball. What's what's it looking like for you guys in 2017? Uh, it's looking good. Uh, we feel very confident, comfortable. Um, I think we can learn a lot from that last season, especially that title game. We didn't really play very well on the offensive side of the ball, so we just kind of we just need to get back to what we're good at and focus on that. And I mean, we got a lot of guys returning. We lost a few of our offensive linemen and C.J. Blackburn, but we got a lot of young guys who got really good talent, and we're looking forward to teaching them things and getting them involved. And hopefully, they can have a big part of our success. 
I understand from what I've been hearing that Sam Minkowski basically played all of last year hurt. Is that right? Yeah, um, I don't. I don't want to speak for him. I don't really know. I know. I'm not asking you as you a know, medical professional, just as a as a guy. Yeah, he he's been banged up. A lot of guys have been banged up, but uh, I didn't even know he got hurt in the stag bowl until probably a whole quarter later because I, I didn't know. I, I guess I didn't pay attention or notice. But he's been hurt, but he uh, he's been training really hard to get back, and he's actually probably better than he was prior to the injury. So I'm looking forward to what he does this year. Now you were talking about lifts and off-season workouts and that sort of thing. What was spring practice like getting guys back together and at least getting on the field for whatever the Division Three form of spring practice looks like after a, a Stag Bowl appearance? Yeah, uh, the Stag Bowl obviously was a good experience. We learned a lot. Um, we kind of forgot about it, I mean, shortly after. It was short-term memory, but we still have it in the back of our mind. You know, we want to get back there and go out on top this time. So everybody was really itching to get out on the field for spring ball, and I think we had a great spring, spring ball practices. Um, Everybody was working really hard and flying around, having fun. And I mean, we're just, we can't wait to get back in camp now in August. I'm here at the 2017 Division Three Baseball World Series wearing a, a media pass. You're here wearing an event management pass. Tell us a little bit of what you're uh, doing here in this uh, off season in the summer. Yeah, so I'm interning for the athletic department on campus with Vicki and Daryl and Kenan. And uh, they just told me that there's an opportunity to work the D3 World Series. And I jumped on that because I'm a big sports fan. I love baseball. So I'm just kind of helping out, doing the little things that, so they don't need to worry about that. They can kind of worry about the bigger picture and not the little, little tasks. So I'm I'm kind of there for their like a little sidekick and whatever they need. So it's a great experience. I like it. It's a. Uh, it starts with three really long days. We're uh, kind of in the, in the middle of that third one. Uh, a bunch of us are here from about uh, nine o'clock in the morning until uh, one one a.m. one thirty. What's what's your uh, hours been like? I've been here at nine a.m. and I usually leave about seven eight o'clock at night so it's not as bad as you guys but it's still long days but you know it's it's worth it it's cool atmosphere here and i'm having a lot of fun if you were playing another sport or what were the other sports you played growing up i played basketball and i also played baseball growing up so i think if i weren't to play football i'd probably play basketball all right well nonetheless i'm going to ask you what uh, what position you played baseball i played catcher in third base Anybody out there who watched Oshkosh this past season can picture Dylan Hecker as a catcher. I think that's probably a, that's probably the case. You could probably picture him as a, a quarterback. You probably picture him as a running back. But uh, also, you know, question Adam is, you know, where do we picture UW Oshkosh this season? Uh, especially, it's been an interesting off season for the Titans. A bit of a, dr- a bit of drama earlier in the spring over the scheduling. Uh, practices and scheduling issues for Oshkosh. The the thought of them paying $25,000 for what would uh, be an exhibition game with the University of Faith. But this is a school that, uh, as was noted, they have only eight games next season. They have just one non-conference game. It's a, it's kind of an interesting time of year right there. Yeah, and you, I, I wonder if uh, their success in 2016 is making that scheduling so difficult. Is anyone, are teams avoiding them because they went to the stag ball and were the runners-up? If they finish 7-3, and three, Chances are they might have a 10-game schedule already. It, is, it was so interesting um, because while I was at the D3 World Series last month, uh, one of the schools that, was, uh, that, that had people there just to help out was uh, Rockford University. Now, Rockford uh, started this season... Uh, this offseason with a schedule that had them playing Maranatha Baptist next year. Of course, Maranatha Baptist dropped the football program. Um, then they uh, replaced Maranatha with Morthland University. That's not Northland, if you are familiar with Division Three. It's Morthland with an M, some school in Illinois. They dropped athletics entirely. So that's the second time that that uh, spot has opened up. 
Rockford could very easily have gotten a significant amount of money from UW Oshkosh to go play them, and it is not a long trip at all. Uh, instead, Rockford's going to play a club team. I didn't even know Robert Morris Peoria was a, a, a club football team. So this is a another school that's playing a game that doesn't count rather than take five figures from UW Oshkosh to play a game that does count. I don't understand. Um, if I'm running a football program, I want to play against the best of the best and take your lumps and learn from it. I, I don't get it. I, I don't know why people don't want to play Oshkosh, but it's a problem that, you know, other programs have had for years, you know, programs at the top of their conference. It's always difficult to find non-conference games. And maybe that does go back to why we've had so much conference realignment is teams want to get in 10 team leagues now. So yeah. they don't have to worry about scheduling more than one non-conference game a year. You know, it, it has become such a challenge because another reason is, so many teams are in 10 team conferences. They only have room for one non-conference game and it kind of trickles across the board, across the nation that, you know, if, if say Johns Hopkins only has one non-conference game, you know, yeah. they're the Centennial is a 10 team league. Yep. Well, every team in the Centennial only has one non-conference game. A lot of them already have regional rivalries um, with schools from, from the East coast or from, you know, that region, mid Atlantic. And, you know, they're not going to be able they maybe they'd love to play a team, you know, a premier non-conference game with a team from, you know, Wisconsin or Minnesota, but there's just no room in the schedule. Um, so there aren't a lot of, there's not a lot of wiggle room there. Um, so it, it, it does become difficult. And the one thing I've noticed over the years is it really seems to become difficult for the top teams to find non-conference games. And I think that's just because why would you want to travel all that way, uh, travel to Wisconsin or travel somewhere far away and, you know, and get thumped. The only chance you have is of pulling off a massive upset. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, it'll be interesting for Oshkosh, uh, if, assuming that this uh, does not get rectified somehow in the next couple of months. You're going to open up at John Carroll and then have uh, three bye weeks and then play, uh, oh, by the way, UW-Whitewater. Yeah, that, that can't be good. And maybe, I mean, at that point, maybe an exhibition game the week before does help uh, just to get your guys in the field and off the practice field and playing on a Saturday. Yeah. But... Yeah, at least the, and that's what we want. I mean, we were so excited when they announced that John Carroll Oshkosh uh, home and home. That's what we want to see more of in Division Three is two teams on the rise in already good conferences. They're going to have a great conference schedule. They're great programs with great history. Uh, they're building tradition. We want to see those games. I get so excited when I see those non-conference games in the schedule. You know, I went to Washington and Lee. When I went there, we played Johns Hopkins. They were good. They weren't the power they are now. I was so excited to see that rivalry non-conference game renewed these last couple of years. That's what we want to see in division three. I mean, look, we don't talk about division one. I'm sorry if I'm bringing it up, but look at what they've done the last year in this coming year of making that opening weekend, a huge event all over the nation of big marquee non-conference games. I want to see more Oshkosh John Carroll games in week one, WNL Hopkins. I want to see conference champion versus conference champion head to head, non-conference opening weekend and really start the season off with a bang and get fans across the nation fired up because we want fans of division three football. I don't want fans of this team or this conference. I want fans who pay attention to everything. Maybe then they'll read my column and listen to our podcast. I don't know, but that's just kind of how we grow the sport and grow awareness for division three. There's no, I mean, kudos to every program that steps up and schedules these games, knowing that they're risking a loss in week one. But I think the reward is greater than that risk, and it's great for the school, the program, it's great for their conference, and it's great for Division Three football. And I think we would all be better served by seeing more of those marquee Week 1 matchups. 
There's some really good ones. Uh, I'm going to just rattle off a, a couple of them. You, of course, uh, we, we talked about the, the big one, but uh, St. John Fisher's playing W&J in week one. I, I think that's a, a really interesting game. Um, you know, Love it. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, Franklin versus Thomas Moore is a little bit, uh, you know, not as um, not as nationally prominent, but that's a really good battle between two perennial playoff contenders. Whitewater's playing Illinois Wesleyan. Uh, Whitworth is playing Central. Uh, you know, those are some games that are, are gonna are gonna have some impact when Selection Sunday rolls around. Absolutely, and then look at the team. I mean, good for them. <laughs> Mount Union two years in a row. That I mean, good for them. You know, they they're gonna learn from it. They're they're probably not gonna win. But good for them to take the chance, and like now, Union now doesn't have to scramble to find a week one opponent. So I mean, there's no no shame in scheduling a challenging non conference opponent in week one. What's interesting is it seems like Mountain Union has never had this uh, this struggle. Uh, They have been able to line up their one non conference opponent, and again, of course, it's a ten team league, um, and they have just the one. But they've you know got lined up after this, after the the second year of North Carolina Wesleyan. Uh, they have Rose Holman for two years. They haven't been great uh, non-conference opponents. I'd say Mountain Union hasn't had a great uh, Division Three program as a non-conference opponent since I, I don't even know when. Because I think if you even if you go back to um, the years that they played Whitewater, that was before Whitewater was one of the premier teams. Mm-hmm. So you know, I, I don't even know how far back you have to go. But uh, they at least they don't have any trouble finding anybody. Teams are lining up to play Mountain Union. Yeah, and Rose Holman's a playoff coming off their first playoff appearance in school history last year. So, you know, maybe they see the same thing. Like, hey, we're going in the right direction. Let's take that next leap and see what it takes to get to that next, next level where we can be not just a playoff team, but, you know, a playoff winner and a team that can maybe advance a round or two or three. Now on the Around the Nation podcast, we're going to try a new feature here where we're going to select essentially a Division three football program at random. And uh, we've done a dry run of this already. There's no dartboard or darts in our house. Uh, We tried throwing a marker at a map of the United States, and that was significantly ineffective because, A, we couldn't make the marker hit the the wall. And secondly, of course, more than half of the United States has no Division III schools whatsoever in in terms of uh, geography. So we've called in the family geography expert. That's uh, my son, Robert, who uh, just finished his... Uh, AP Human Geography class uh, in uh, his uh, freshman year of high school. So he is going to help us generate a pair of random coordinates in uh, the United States. So uh, let's see what we got. Uh, well, nothing in Juneau, I'm assuming. Yeah, nothing in Juneau, Alaska. That's true. Well, Sitka's also in Alaska. Montpelier. Montpelier is in Vermont. Can we uh, go to these coordinates and see, uh, pull up which of our small number of Division Three schools in Vermont is closest to Montpelier? Oh, there you go. So the uh, closest uh, Division Three school to our pair of coordinates is Norwich University in Northfield, Vermont. We will be giving head coach Mark Murniak a call on this month's edition of the Around the Nation podcast. Robert, thanks for your help. Happy home.
Now joined by Norwich head football coach Mark Murniak. Uh, his team and his program moving into a, a new conference, the New England Women's and Men's Athletic Conference, sponsoring football this fall for the first time after a, uh, a couple of years lead up to it. Uh, coach, first of all, thanks for joining us. And uh, secondly, what's the uh, what's kind of been the reaction among your alumni, your players, your fans about uh, moving into the new conference? Yeah, well, first of all, Pat, uh, thank you for having having me on here. Um, and going back to the new Mac, it's it's kind of going back to our roots. Uh, you know, when 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 they first started discussing the the league and the potential league, and um, you know, I was here when it was the Freedom Football Conference. I started here. Uh, Mike Yesalonia gave me my first coaching job here at Norwich, and at that time we were in the Freedom Football Conference. So there's a lot of members of the new Mac um, that look really familiar yeah. uh, to that league, and and certainly our alums are extremely excited to to get back to some of the rivalry games that that they felt comfortable with especially and in particular the coast guard game um having united states merchant marine academy on there again is um is also exciting and and springfield and, and wpi come come back into the mix again so uh there's a lot of excitement around our campus concerning moving into this league um you know we are certainly grateful and mindful of of our path to get here and and uh the ecfc in in a very short amount of time we created some great rivalries there too but this is kind of getting getting back to our roots you guys come from the ecfc which has been uh, as a single sport conference is you know was relatively young was still trying to kind of work its way uh to some respectability in in division three ranks and also just had a lot of programs that were brand new and for for you guys i suspect you're in a conference now where you're going to have at least a little bit more in common in terms of having established football programs and that sort of thing absolutely and when you look at tradition and the history of things and and games dating back some time there's there's some there's some tradition there and and um you know, not necessarily for the players on our roster now, uh, but but certainly for the for program history wise. You're going to be taking a bit of a step up in terms of competition, of course, as well. You guys were at a position over the course of the last several years where um, at some point you were the best team, the dominant team in the conference, but always in the mix. And now I think uh, some of that becomes a little bit more insecure going into the new Mac. Yeah, it's it's certainly. Uh, Absolutely no disrespect to the, to the programs that were in the league that we played in. There were some very good football teams in that league, but just just from a stability standpoint, like you like you mentioned, and from top to bottom, I I, I think when you look at it, um, the league has a lot of balance to it. Uh, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be really interesting. I mean, it, it, you're the expert at it. You 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 get the opportunity to play the game. Uh, this team played this team. What about this team? How about the strength of schedules? What about the the leagues that they play in? Um, we've, we've played a common opponent in, in that league. I mean, we played WPI, uh, you know, last year they had, they, they beat us pretty good. They threw the football over our head a little bit. Um, but they had a really good, good year last year in the Liberty league. And, and we know how tough that, that league is. Cause we played three non-conference opponents in that league. So, um, we played Springfield college in an ECAC game at their place in 2013 and, they blocked an extra point and beat us 28-27. So um, certainly there there is some – we haven't had a, a great deal of success in our program, program history against Springfield either. So uh, for us, it's certainly – I feel like week in and week out, it's going to be a, a little bit of a step up for us. And I think the wild card of this whole thing is, 
you know, how quickly can Catholic uh, come in and, and, you know, the ODAC is a great conference and, and I know that they've done very well at a conference and I think they, they kind of become the wild card in this, this whole new Mac scheduling. Tell us a little bit about Division Three football in New England being one of the three schools in the state of Vermont. And again, in that point, one of whom you guys never will have the opportunity to play in football the way it looks like. Yeah, and and, and for us, it's it, the, I think the players get a uh, – it's a little bit different experience. Um, we are the college football in the state. Uh, they get a lot of recognition that, that, you, that you sometimes wouldn't get uh, with a Division One program um, – overshadowing your program. You know, I, I played division three college football in, in Pennsylvania and everybody thinks that's a big deal, but we're, we're rating Penn, I was rating Penn state's backyard. So if they played that days, oftentimes you got overlooked, but it, we are us Castleton Middlebury, like you mentioned, we are the, the college football in the state. So I think our players, um, they get a lot of recognition, um, probably sometimes more than, than you would at other division three institutions. One of the guys who came out of your program is uh, somebody who I think most people don't really associate or or 95% of even Division III fans probably don't even remember that Pierre Garçon started at Norwich before going on to Mount Union. Did you expect that he would be able to turn into something like this? And does he maintain any connection at all to the Norwich program? Uh, Pierre was here during the time I wasn't. Um, so, okay. but Mike Yesaloni had, re- had recruited him, uh, at a John I Leonard high school in West Palm beach. Um, he was, he was, a, a, a tight end type player in a, in a wing T style offense. So there wasn't a, a whole lot of tape available on him. And really, um, Mike Yesaloni gets the credit. He, he, he took the chance on him. He really saw some things in him that he felt like he could work with. And then, and then of course he came on campus and was empire eight rookie of the year. Um, his freshman year, I know Sean McIntyre, the, the head coach prior to, to myself, uh, he was the offensive coordinator during that time. And they, they knew they had something special. And, and one of the things that they talk about, even though, like I mentioned, I was not here. One of the things they talked about was his, how he gravitated towards the strength coach and his work ethic, uh, started to take off. So, um, he, he came on the scene pretty quickly and just, um, the more that he, he found success, the more, the harder and harder he worked at things. So, um, he just recently, um, his 500th career reception in the NFL, he, he presented the, that game ball when he's with the Washington Redskins, he, he sent it to Norwich university in the football program. And our athletic director, Tony Mariano has it displayed out, out in, in the front case. So, um, you know, I, I think he, oftentimes people associate him with Mount union. That's, that's where he went. That's where he, um, was drafted out of. That's where he graduated from. And, and, but he got his start here. And, and like I said, uh, the head coach at the time, Mike Yesaloni, is, was the reason for that. So tell us a little bit about uh, who's coming back for you guys next year. What are your, uh, you know, where your key guys at your key positions and maybe one of your key position battles coming into the uh, into camp this summer? Okay. Um, well, we have both of our quarterbacks are back from, from last season. Um, you know, uh, Philippe Bazinet and Nolan Aurelia are, are both back. Um, Philippe actually took over his partway three games into his sophomore year and had a real good sophomore season. And then uh, probably didn't, didn't play as well as junior year, but he's coming back. So we have a lot of confidence in him. Um, and we also have a, a, 
a freshman rising uh, sophomore, Matt Chaffee, who we expect some big things from. He had a really great spring. Um, so, you know, we're, we're excited. We're confident in, in that position. Those guys have played some games. And I think Matt, Matt gives us a, a, a glimpse into the future of, of what, what can be done. Um, we had three senior wide receivers uh, that graduated for us. So that, that spot is wide open. We did have a freshman that, that played some significant time for us. Um, but really, it, there's a lot of questions. There's a lot of things that are up in the air for us. Uh, going into the season at the at the wide receiver spot, we did see some some good things in the spring uh, from from some of the freshman players that we have on the roster. But I, I I still think that that area more than anything else, especially on the offensive side of the ball, is wide open. I feel very confident with with what we've got at at the running back position. We we uh, we have the ability to use probably three or four players at that position. Um, we have a guy coming back off of injury and, and, and I feel really strong with what we have coming back there. And, and really on the offensive line too, we've had, we have three players that coming back that played significant time. Uh, so we've been able to, the staff did a great job of, of filling in the holes, um, really adding some depth and, and, you know, so we should be, um, we have to take a step offensively moving moving forward a little bit this year. We were probably um, we were a little bit disappointed with how things went. We we really felt we were going to be a little bit more explosive on the offensive side of the football last year, and it didn't quite work out um, yeah. the way that we needed it to. So we needed to really take a look at what we were doing, um, how we were coaching specific schemes, uh, our play calls, and and really making sure the kids were able to execute it well. Um, on the defensive side of the ball, we, we lost a significant number of seniors. Uh, we had eight senior linebackers in the program. We play a 3-4 defensively. Oh, wow. Four, four senior outside backers, four senior inside backers. So um, those positions are pretty much up in the air because those guys were the starters and the backups. Um, so we have a, a, a wide open um, camp as far as who's the starters going to be. We, we have – we, that, that's what we recruit on the defensive side of the ball. We recruit linebacker type kids. Uh, we feel like, you know, that that's what we're most able to recruit when we're going to get as many of those guys on the field as we possibly can. So we have a, we have plenty of guys in the program. It's just not a whole heck of a lot of experience. Um, and, and, you know, coach Russell, our inside linebackers coach, he usually does a pretty good job of, of playing younger guys too. But the way it worked out is uh, the backups were, were seniors too. So, um, our defensive line, we have three guys that, that played significantly for us that rotated in and, and that's a position for us too, that we're, you know, we're going to play six or seven guys in, 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 out of the three, three down guys that we play and we're going to rotate those guys through. So, so those guys have gotten some playing time. And then last year we started two freshman corners, um, kind of took our lumps a little bit, but, but both of those guys are, are, you know, firmly planted in their positions and we expect some really big things from there from them and then we have a, a senior captain three-year starter this will be his fourth year that that starts at the safety for us one of the safeties for us and the other one's going to be a, an open competition during camp too but we have some players there so um you know the really the linebacking core is a is a question mark coming into camp again we have we have plenty of bodies but we just don't have a lot of depth 
uh, or a lot of playing experience for those guys. Uh, we do play JV games, so so those guys have played as much as they possibly can in there. Um, but it, it's a little bit different when you get get the pads on on a Saturday in the fall. So um, we're just going to have to be a little bit patient as those guys come in, and it, the, the competition is going to be awesome now. And the next key for us, too, is replacing two-time ECFC Special Teams Player of the Year, Wes Medeiros, um, and and that's going to be a chore. We've we've been pretty fortunate in that we've had some some outstanding kickers, punters in, in our program. Um, the the person prior to Wes Long Ding uh, was actually in the Jacksonville Jaguars mini camp. Yep, uh, had a had a tryout. So um, for us, we've been pretty fortunate, and we have a kid from Zverian, uh, Matt Rogers, who who we are expecting some really big things from. So um, you know the spring the spring went pretty well guys got in there they got some reps we got an opportunity to to evaluate them really make sure that they understood our schemes um they didn't get a lot of reps with our schemes during the fall so um you know as as a coach it's particularly in the spring you walk that fine line of how much technique work should you do how much scheme work should you do uh and we really wanted to make sure that i think both side either side of the ball were at a little bit different spot but we're always going to be technique sound, but we had to really make sure that some guys understood the schemes that we were trying to to put in on both sides of the ball. One of the things that's always interested me about Norwich coach is, uh, you know, the, the affiliation as a military school, you know, the, the cadets and that sort of thing, you know, uh, especially, um, having competed against, you know, the U S coast guard Academy, the U S merchant Marine Academy, what is the, what's the military's relationship with Norwich university? Uh, Norwich University is the oldest private military school in the country. Uh, it is the birthplace of ROTC. So there are five senior military academies in the country. Um, the Citadel, obviously, is is um, people know of the Citadel, VMI, okay. Texas A&M, Virginia Tech, North Georgia, and, and Norwich University. Actually, there's six, there's six um, in, including us senior military academies. Uh, so these are private military schools. Um, so the, the students that come in that participate in the Corps of Cadets um, may or may not have military obligation when they graduate. It's all, um, it all depends on whether they are on an ROTC scholarship track. You know, so for our players, about half of our roster participates in the Corps of Cadets and of that half, so let's say 50 of them do, of that, probably 25 of them will be uh, seeking commissioning uh, and or a contract. So um, we have any branch, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine Corps, um, and, and those students will participate in ROTC, uh, live an active military lifestyle, and then some of them will participate in ROTC, live an active military lifestyle, and have no obligation whatsoever. So really, at the end of their sophomore year, those students really make that choice. Are are they uh, on a contracted uh, commissioning path or a, or a non-commissioning path, um, but still stay in the Corps of Cadets while they're on campus at Norwich University? And then, again, like I said, you have the, those students – in our program have the opportunity to choose if they wish coming through the door, whether they want to be a civilian student or not. So um, really for us, it's, it's, as we go through the recruiting process, it's identifying those students that have an interest in the Corps of Cadets first and foremost, and then really working it 
working it backwards and finding out what academic fits, whether it's engineering, whether it's nursing, whether it's our school of architecture, computer security, information assurance, whatever it may be for those civilian students. I always ask our coaches to, um, you know, give me another reason why, why we're recruiting this kids besides football. Why is he looking at Norwich university? And for, obviously for the, for the military kids, that's a, that's an easy answer, but for those civilian students, it has to be an academic program that'll, that'll draw them here as well. Adam mentioned it earlier, Norwich in its fourth conference in 15 years coming up this year. Freedom Football Conference was a nice fit for them before it folded. Then the, the cadets, they won four games in five seasons in the Empire 8 before they ended up jumping ship. You think the new Mac is going to end up being the happy medium for them? Yeah, I mean, it, the new Mac is going to be very interesting because like we said earlier, it's taking teams from a bunch of different leagues, not just, you know, half of one conference deciding to add two or three teams and become a new conference. Uh, I think the new Mac is, uh, you have a lot of teams that have had a little bit of success some flashes of success here and there in their prior conferences. And, you know, they're all looking to rise the top and, you know, you have teams that have been, you know, conference champions before as well. So I, I think it's, it's going to be an interesting first couple of years to see the balance of power kind of, you know, who rises, who falls, and who kind of stays where they are and where they've been. Uh, and like I said, maybe one team, this will be their magic cure for what else them, and this will be the conference where they can be a perennial top one or two team. Um, but I, I, I think maybe every team going to the New Mech feels that way about this new opportunity. So it, it's going to be interesting <laughs> to see them play it out on the field and really determine who are those top top dogs and, and how long it takes to determine that. I mean, we might not know for four or five seasons, to be honest. I'm sure that my alma mater thinks that it's on that list. Uh, Catholic leaving the ODAC to go to this conference. Uh, they have won. Uh, they've won a total of two games over the last three seasons in ODAC play. But if you look back, uh, starting in 2013 on, they're 10 and two non-conference. Um, you know the the ODAC isn't uh, isn't world beaters, but it's a strong middle of the pack conference uh, that Catholic just hasn't been able to get uh, in the on the right side of the scoreboard on for a little while. Uh, the new Mac could be that answer for them. Absolutely. And, and I'm not going to lie. When I was saying all those things, Catholic was the one team, you know, being an ODAC guy and writing the mid Atlantic column. And I write a lot about, I remember writing so much about Catholic in September and early October. And, you know, this will be the year and they've had these hot starts and then the ODAC play kind of grinds them down. And, you know, maybe it's style of play too. You know, they've, I get, well, they always fit in the ODAC. I mean, they would chuck the ball around too yeah. and throw the ball a lot. Yeah, a ton. So, uh, you know, it's hard to say, but definitely in the back of my mind, that was probably the one program you know, above all, all else that I was thinking of that, hey, maybe if we have success in non-conference, maybe we're just in the wrong conference. We can be a good team. We just got to find the right, uh, you know, eight game conference schedule. I tell you, if you're in the new Mac, you need to be able to defend the option. Uh, Maine Maritime, oh, yeah. Merchant Marine, uh, Springfield, uh, you know, Coast Guard throws the ball over the lot now, but they've run the option in the past. It's a, that's going to be a, a, a conference where you have to line up and do that every single week. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if teams like Catholic conform or if they uh, try to beat the option by running the spread that they've <laughs> been using for so many years. You know, Springfield's another team that, you know, every year I think, you know, I have probably picked them to be an upset, you know, five of the last six years to have a big upset or finish higher than they are. Um, Maybe that's a little family bias. My older brother played there way back in the 80s. I did not. Um, know that. But I always feel like they're they're a team that, you know, they can get 
three or four great wins a season. You think this is the year they get over the hump, and then they kind of level off, and they've been right at or around 500 the last few years, and I'm sure they're in the same boat. They think, hey, we can get in a, a more balanced conference, and maybe we can use some of the past experience that we've had uh, and take it to the new Mac and rise to the top. But yeah, it'll be interesting if if now that all these teams are together, it'll be interesting to see if there is kind of a style of play, if, if the new Mac is defined by that opt-in style, and if they recruit for that style, and if you know they recruit defenses to stop that style. Um, so yeah, it could, it could end up being some very balanced competition, or it could be something where you know the teams that don't conform to the option get kind of blown away the first year or two, just not having seen it so much. Today I learned Adam Turer has a brother who played at Springfield. So there we go. Uh, rather yeah, I've than been D3 for life. There you go. <laughs> rather than jump through the music and do this whole pretend to transition to the next interview thing, well, it's just going to do a, a hard uh, a hard smash cut right here and go to our final interview, which is uh, with Adam about what's coming up. Uh, you know, this fall. Uh, talk about the the preseason top 25s a couple of them are already out like we said at the top of the show um we're not gonna run through those because uh you can go buy their magazines if you want but you really should buy kickoff uh which comes out in august and we'll have uh the the best preseason ranking because we rank everybody um but coming up on uh, our preseason top 25 which is going to come out next month what are you thinking uh your ballot looks right now who's uh, like, for example at the top there's a uh you know there's probably going to be a big split in terms of number 1 pick because i would think Mary Harden Baylor will still get a lot of support because they're defending national champ um but there's a lot of options there yeah and that's my style i i if you won the national championship i'm going to vote you number 1 in the preseason ranking because until someone takes your crown you get to wear it so i'll give them that vote for week 1 it may change by week 2 or 3 but that's just kind of been my Personal preference is, you know, how can you not rank a defending champ number one when they are the only team coming off of uh, an undefeated season? So uh, I'll give Mary Harden Bell my vote. Uh, I think Mount Union is a favorite to bounce back yeah. uh, and get back to Salem, um, especially in the, the last year at Salem for now. I think that that wouldn't be a surprise. I think John Carroll's a big question mark because not only did they lose some some key players, they lost their coaching staff. And, you know, at Division Three, I feel like uh, a coaching staff makes a, a pretty big impact when you don't have scholarship players to reload with. Um, St. Thomas, I think, is going to be in good shape. I mean, Jordan Roberts is coming back. So, I mean, I think St. Thomas can get has a good chance to get back to Salem as well. Um, Oshkosh, you know, this is a big turning point year for Oshkosh, I think, is how do they respond to that success of getting to Salem? I'm really interested to see, and like we touched on earlier, you know, how much are we going to learn from an eight, potential eight-game schedule? Hopefully they can fill those spots, but we might not really know too much about them until they get to conference play and, you know, until they get back to the postseason. Uh, Whitewater is another team that, I don't know. We, we don't know. We talk about, I mean, are they still Whitewater? Are they still a purple power? Are they kind of sliding back? Are teams catching up with them? Um, you know, they need, they need to do something right now. I feel like this, they still have the recognition and the clout, but I feel like if they slip backwards this year, uh, there might be some question marks there about you know how much the coaching change affected them. Um, I think Wesley, you know Wesley and Johns Hopkins. Again, this might go back to my years writing the Around the Mid Atlantic column, 
every year I have so much confidence they're going to be able to break through. And, you know, they've advanced so far and they seem to reload talent every year on both sides of the ball. They've got coaches that have been there forever that, that are known entities and do a great job year in and year out, uh, dominate whatever conference they're in and oh, usually. And, you know, I, I feel like someday one of them has got to break through. It's got to happen, right, Pat? Um, you know, one would think that it probably at some point would happen. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, we haven't seen a whole lot of that over the course of the last couple of years as it has continued to be the usual suspects. I'm going to go back to, uh, I'm going to go back to Mount Union for my preseason number one pick. Um, I'm not somebody who waits for, uh, who waits for a loss because, you know, we could go, uh, into week 13 before, uh, some of these, teams get challenged so uh i'm uh, i'm i'm someone who at the beginning of the season i'm picking who i think is going to win the national championship so that's basically my my goal all the time um i know we have uh other people though who feel the same way you do we have uh, especially coaches i think are very much going to check the box of uh whoever's holding walnut and bronze so it'll be interesting to see i, I think it's going to come down to uh, votes for Mary Harden Baylor, votes for Mountain Union, maybe a couple for Oshkosh. Uh, I think you're absolutely right about John Carroll. It's going to be a, a a super question mark kind of season for them. Um, yeah, when you mentioned Jordan Roberts at St. Thomas, it's like, oh yeah, that's I know supposed to happen, right? That's what I've heard allegedly. But the nice thing that we have the advantage of is being the, the guys who, who write in kickoff is we can vote a preseason number one and also pick who we think is going <laughs> to win the stag bowl. I'm not saying those are going to be the same for me. And I'm not saying it's going to take a Mary Harden Baylor loss for me to drop them down. I think I did that last year. I think I had Mount Union number one coming off the championship. And then three or four weeks in, they weren't playing as dominating inspired football. They were still undefeated. But I think I moved, I moved Mary Hardenballer up to number one pretty early last year uh, at a point when both were still undefeated. So it really, you know, if you have the luxury of paying attention and watching some games and really seeing who's got the momentum, who looks, you know, these are different programs from year to year. You know, it, it goes back to voting for or rooting for laundry. I mean, you got to really look at who the players are that are, you know, taking the snaps and taking the reps this year because, you know, underneath those helmets and jerseys, it can be a completely different ball club from year to year. Um, how about sleepers? What do you, you have any, I know you talked a little bit about, I don't know if you consider like Wesley and Johns Hopkins sleepers, cause at least they're on the national scale, yeah. but you know, who, who are some of the other teams you think might break out? Oh, geez. Uh, it's not all totally, yet. totally even, on the spot, even July and August. totally on, on the, the spot, spot here in the middle of June teams in on June 15th, who are going to be my sleepers. In, oh, oh, it'll be June 16th by the time, time this hits people's feed. So, Oh, correct. Correct. Um, let's see. Uh, you know, some teams that showed some flashes last year that, that might be able to break through. Well, here, here this, this will tie, we'll tie two things together here. I want to see what Muhlenberg does. That program is going to be playing inspired football. Yeah. Um, if you haven't heard Mike Donnelly, uh, their longtime head coach, over 100 career wins there. Uh, he's battling leukemia right now. And I think, you know, we've seen it feels like we've seen it, you know, through tragedy. We see teams rally together and have amazing seasons. You know, we've seen it from Linfield, from Thomas Moore, from Washington Jefferson, um, you know, losing teammates. Uh, and they rally together and they reel off these amazing seasons. I, I feel like, you know, Coach Donnelly's the kind of guy that, you know, players current past 
all the coaches, he's got a great coaching tree that people just love him. And I could definitely see Muhlenberg maybe taking that, you know, his battle as some motivation and carrying that through the season. And maybe they can surprise Johns Hopkins and reclaim the centennial for the first time in a while. There's a sleeper. Um, I will, uh, I'll throw out a couple of names here and then I'll let you decide whether we can consider them as sleepers or not. Uh, the, the first one, just to mention a team that we haven't talked about, uh, so far as Hobart, Hobart brings a lot back. That's the next team I was going to mention. That's so funny. (laughs) All right. Am I allowed to consider them a sleeper then? Is that all right? Absolutely. They, they probably have more marquee returning talent than, than most programs in the country. Uh, another team I'm thinking about as I'm kind of looking through the list here is Barry College. They were a, a tiebreaker away from getting into the playoffs last year, and they've just been so strong defensively in the course of this young program. They have maybe the best defensive player uh, coming back in uh, Mabadou Sumoro, who is a name we just like to say on this podcast. Um, but uh, that's a uh, that's a winnable conference too. I mean, the, there's no defending national, no defending national champ. There's no defending conference champ in the SAA because uh, WashU is uh, out of that league this year. Pat, I know you might not believe me and think I'm doing this with the podcast. I am looking at the final top 25 and the others receiving votes, and the first two teams that caught my eye were Barry and Hobart. I am not making that up. Well, <laughs> so we're going to check the box, Barry and Hobart. You are officially both. Uh, I don't know if you're not sleepers anymore. We've uh, you can't be under the radar. We've uh... did we spoil it? We put them on the radar in June, so now they have to enter the season on the radar, squarely on the radar. You talked about Mike Donnelly, and of course uh, we had him on the podcast uh, earlier this off season to talk about business. Um, but yeah, just uh, just uh, an amazing story, and hopefully he finds the uh, the bone marrow transplant that he needs because that is a guy who, as you said, and as we've written about. I don't remember if you wrote it or if Ryan Tips wrote it or somebody else, but uh, we've we've written about that coaching tree um, before, and mm-hmm. that is a that is a guy who has influenced a lot of coaches uh, across Division three football. Um, I also wanted to kind of uh, throw out best wishes, I guess, for lack of a better term, uh, to Nick Johnson, the coach at Earlham, and uh, rather than me talk, uh, I know you know the story just as well, if not better than I do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Nick's the head coach at Earl, and they, they're still looking for his first win as the head coach there. It's his alma mater. Uh, it's his wife's alma mater, Melissa. She was the women's basketball coach there. She's been really, really sick for the last four four years now. I think so. And, uh, you know, there, there was some great news uh, a couple months ago that she was going to return to the sidelines as the women's basketball coach there for the Quakers. Uh, she had another setback, unfortunately, uh, is not going to be able to coach. You know, she's still in and out of the hospital. She's actually being treated at University of Cincinnati Hospital here. Um, you know, the, their family's been through so much these last few years, and, you know, they remain dedicated to Earlham. And, you know, hopefully, you know, it's we're not supposed to root for teams or programs, but I'll tell you what, I have been rooting for Earlham to get that one win for the last couple of years. It would be so cathartic for for their program and their family and you know they've he's just been such a model and an example of you know courage under adversity and really you know done a great job of setting an example for for not just his program but but for you know what college sports are all about and these young men you know learning that you know life life hits you you know you might get you might line up and get hit by a linebacker or an offensive tackle but when you're older life is going to hit you and it's going to hit you hard and uh you got to be able to bounce back and carry on through that and you know, I think everyone in Division Three. You know, you have Division Three women's basketball coach and Division Three head men's football coach. Uh, they're a Division Three family, uh, and I think all of Division Three is pulling for them as well. I think it's perfectly fine to root for a team to get one win. I, I don't think you. Uh, I don't think you have to apologize for that. 
that's not a that's not a very high bar. So we'll uh, we'll we'll let you have that. My conscience is clear. <laughs> Um, as we uh, also kind of work our way into this Father's Day weekend, first of all, uh, well, second, third, 157th of all, happy Father's Day to you, Adam. I know you have uh, you have some uh, you you talked about a decision that you had to make uh, with with your son about whether he was going to uh, continue or continue or play football in, in a uh, in a tackle football environment this season. Um, you you made kind of a public discussion of that, so I'm hoping I'm not intruding by asking you to tell us what you ended up deciding now absolutely you know my first around the nation column ever last year uh, i put it out there and said you know here's the situation my son's going into you know he was in sixth grade at the time he's going into seventh grade now and he was thinking about playing tackle football for the first time i started when i was around his age a little bit younger and uh i had some friends that started when they were five or six years old and some didn't start till high school and it was just it's an ongoing discussion obviously you know, it, it's probably discussed and debated more now than at any point in the sports history of whether or not it's safe for children to play football. Um, and what I wanted to do last year in the column was just reach out to, to players and, you know, give them a space to say why they love football. And that was probably the coolest thing uh, was just hearing from those individual players uh, and giving them some space in the column to say, you know, what motivated them, what inspired them and why they love the game. Uh, so my son had a decision to make and, uh, you know, I let him make the decision and it was actually really funny because we, uh, you know, he wanted to play. I was against it, believe it or not. I hope people still will read my columns and respect my opinion on football. Uh, but yeah, I was against it for a while for a lot of reasons. Um, injuries being number one. And, uh, but you know, I was for it also because I love the, the team aspect of it, the camaraderie, like I talked about overcoming adversity, you learn a lot of great things through playing football and, you know, it shaped my life in many ways playing, uh, you know, as a kid and playing in high school and college. Um, so it's funny. We actually went to the, the meeting, the coaching, the middle school coaches had a meeting. Our opinions totally flipped after talking to the coaches and hearing what they were about and what their goals were. I was totally at peace. I was on board with it. I was like, go for it. <laughs> He changed his mind. So he's like, you know what, Dad? I want to wait and see how you know he's going to a new school next year, middle school for the first time, a lot of new kids. Yep. Uh, he's like, you know what? I want to see what my – and some of his best friends also decided not to play and you know that he wanted to play. If they played, maybe a package deal kind of thing. Yeah. But he decided, you know, I'm going to wait and see how the kids that play seventh grade, how they like it, and then maybe I'll try in eighth grade. And I was like, you know what, son? I'm fine with that. So uh, we're going to stick to basketball and baseball for now and – uh, make the most out of that and maybe play flag football again. I don't know. Flag, flag football was, uh, I don't know. I, 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 when you get that close, it's like, just play the real game. But it, it was, it was hard to adjust to the, the pace and speed and uh, strategy of flag football. I don't know, but it, it's a good starting point for younger kids, I guess. Anyway, I still love football. Kind of. I like it. It's all right. <laughs> I have to say when you, when you wrote that column last year and I read it, it's like, Oh crap. Am I going to have to replace the Around the Nation <laughs> columnist again? <laughs> this guy writes the Around the Nation column hates football. Uh, no, I mean, like I said, there are so many good things about it, but I definitely see, you know, the negative sides. I mean, look, I'm 32 years old and I can't pitch batting practice to my baseball team because my shoulders are so jacked up from years of playing football. Oh, wow. You know, maybe it's because I got trampled a lot because I wasn't the biggest or strongest or fastest guy, but let's be honest, most kids that play football aren't the biggest or strongest or fastest. So that's something to take into consideration. It just, it takes, it's a grind. You know, it is, football really takes, and you know, it's, it's not for everyone. Let's put it that way. But for the, the ones that uh, stuck with it and stuck it out and 
I'll tell you what, some of my favorite people in the world to talk to are football coaches because they get it. They get that it's about more than just football, and they, they do a great job uh, of shaping young men, and, and nowhere else is it like that than Division three football. So that's why I'm going to keep writing. The, don't worry, I'll keep writing the column for a little bit because I like talking to these guys as a coach. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate it. Uh, Adam, you survived uh, the full hour plus of the uh, Around the Nation podcast. Congratulations. Woohoo! What do I win? Um, you, you win right the Around the Nation column in 2017. Congratulations! And you get next month off of uh, of uh, Around the Nation uh, podcast hosting duties. I assume uh, we assume that uh, Keith will be back. Uh, Keith, uh, I, I'm hopefully I'm not uh, speaking out of turn. Keith's getting married this weekend, so yeah, we're, I, I was waiting. I didn't know if that was <laughs> something we could announce. Yeah, he's uh, he's committing to more than just four years of. <laughs> playing a sport he's good. he's making a serious commitment that's right uh the, the that letter of intent is a pretty serious one so we'll have him back uh we'll have him back next month but this was around the nation podcast number 170 for the month of june 2017 thanks for listening and check out the website for our year-round coverage of division three football if you like our podcast please consider rating it in itunes or podcatcher or wherever you consume your podcast content because that will help other football fans find it and if you're one of our 12 five-star ratings on itunes Truly, thank you. Thank you very much. The executive producer of the Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Thanks to our guests, Dylan Hecker and Mark Murniak, and sports information directors Ken and Tim, Ricky Nelson, and Griffith Spencer for their time helping this edition of the show come together. Also, thanks to our Around the Nation columnist, Adam Turr, our guest host this month, and the originator of the Around the Nation column. Keith McMillan. Our music is by bensound.com, although not this music that underlays this. Uh, this was found off of, I don't even know, it is so old that we don't have a source for it, and we apologize to whoever wrote that, because we use this a lot. So yeah, we're in off-season podcast mode. You will get a new show in July, I promise. Sorry about May. Uh, we'll continue at in August, and then every week throughout the uh, 2017 Division Three football season, so check back in to hear from Division Three football newsmakers uh, in July and August, and then every week, 1 through 16 for 2017. Five stars, five stars. <laughs> that, that's, that's the way to get him to review us. Are we at a hundred days from kickoff? We gotta be. Are oh, we're, we close? We're under a hundred. Yeah, we're we would be at. Uh, well, kickoff is um, the first day of games is August thirty first this year. So, uh, fifteen more days of June. Eighty seven. The seventy seven. Carry the one. Carry the one. I don't have enough fingers. So. I just told her there'd be no math on this podcast. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm supposed to be the math person on this podcast, aren't I? <laughs> That's what I was told. I'm the English major.